Welcome to the Design 30 podcast. My name is Jason Bilyeu, and in this podcast, I provide design strategies and tools to improve creativity, innovation, and overall design confidence. So today's episode is a bit of a response to some feedback I got on an episode I published a few weeks ago, which was episode 29. And in that episode, I discussed um, this book I had been reading or had just finished on Bell Labs. And it talked a lot about all of the incredible technology that came out of that laboratory and the people behind it and kind of the environment they fostered uh, to allow for these really smart people to create new and innovative technologies. And what I pulled from that book was essentially four primary ingredients, which I called time, collaboration, questions, and dedication. And it was those four ingredients that I thought Bell Laboratories used really well to foster this environment of creativity, innovation, and allowed some of the smartest people in the world to work there and to develop all of these different things that we still interact with today. Like I talked about radar and radios and they developed the first uh what did they call them like video or uh man i don't even remember photograph phones picture phones. i think picture phones not photograph phones picture phones which was essentially facetime back in the 1960s and you know the basis of our computing semiconductors all of these things came from bell laboratories but after I published that episode, I got um, some feedback, and I'd say somewhat, I don't think it was critical, but it was good feedback, which I like. And please, if you guys have thoughts or ideas or think I'm getting something wrong, let me know. It's, it's really fun to uh, respond to it and to think about it, and it forces me to dig a little bit deeper and make sure I know what I'm talking about, first of all. And I don't know, it's just good to be called out sometimes to know that people are listening and it helps me become a better podcaster. It helps me become a better designer. So I enjoy the feedback. If you have it, please send it my way. Um, so yeah, this episode I'll be, you know, addressing some of that feedback, which I think was really good and a really important point that I probably should have addressed in that episode or I could have addressed in the episode and now it's turning into its own episode. So it's working out pretty well. But before I get into that, I want to, you know, do, what do they call it? Do a little house cleaning or I don't know, housekeeping, do the housekeeping. Um, and just say, please subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already follow design 30 on YouTube and where else on Instagram, Twitter, wherever, you know, you spend the most of your time online. Hopefully you're not spending too much time online. Uh, that's one of the great things about podcasts is you can listen to it while you're doing uh, lots of other stuff, driving, mowing the lawn. You, we, we all have our favorite place uh, to listen to podcasts. Mine is actually the gym, which I think a lot of people find pretty weird. Um, usually you'll listen to pump up music and who knows, screamo music, whatever kind of music you're into to kind of get you motivated and get you going at the gym. But I often listen to podcasts and you now maybe, 
maybe that's a bad idea. I don't know, but it, it feels like I'm being very productive because I'm working out and I'm also learning about something. So I think that's what I really enjoy about that. Not sure if I recommend it or not. Um, don't really care where you listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I digress. Um, so yes, please subscribe to the podcast and please rate the podcast. Uh, that's pretty helpful, or at least so I'm told with the algorithms. So do that. And as always, subscribe to the Design30 uh, Substack, which I just uh, published a new article. I think they're called articles. Just published a new article um, that should have gone out today, which is the day I'm recording. Uh, so when you're listening to this, if you're listening on Monday, it will have been published yesterday. Um, but make sure if you haven't subscribed to the Substack, you do that so you can read uh, that most recent article, which is uh, essentially will go alongside this episode. And that leads me into what this episode is actually about. And it's a response to this criticism or this critical, constructive criticism I received on my episode 29 of the podcast. What the criticism was is that I had said to create an innovative and creative environment, you need a time, collaboration, questions, space for questions, the ability to ask good questions, and dedication. And the pushback was, well, what is the role of pressure on creativity and innovation? Isn't pressure one of the things that forces companies to innovate and puts a, a deadline, a timeline on actually releasing an innovative product. And I thought that's actually a really good point. Pressure definitely plays a role in all of this. And so that's what my Substack article is on, is on the role of pressure in creating this innovative and creative environment. And that's also what this podcast is going to be on, which will be you know, they'll be pretty similar, but there will also be some differences. So if you're listening to this now, make sure you go and subscribe to the Design 30 Substack so you can read uh, that article as well. Now, back to this idea of pressure. We're all familiar with pressure and how it's helpful. You have to have deadlines for projects at work. You have to have deadlines for uh, school assignments. Sometimes that's why it's easier to actually learn uh, at a university or in school or something that you're paying for is because there's this pressure to take advantage and to get your money's worth. Whereas so much information right now is obviously available on YouTube, uh, all these different places. It seems like everyone's offering uh, a different course or class now, but when you pay for it, it puts this extra pressure on you to uh, take advantage of it, I think is the best way to say it. So there's obviously a role for pressure in our lives and it does push us to do more things, to be more productive a lot of the time. But is it really necessary or is it one of the key ingredients, I guess, to innovation and creativity and creating an environment that allows for or fosters or encourages uh, creative thinking, creative ideas, design thinking, and overall innovation. And I'm not sure that it necessarily does. And my point here, 
Well, so I look at it in basically two ways. So there's product development, but then there's also technology development. And I don't think these, sometimes they can overlap. Uh, they definitely overlap in some scenarios, but a lot of the time they need to be looked at as two distinctive things. So in technology development, that's where you develop the technology. That's where you figure out if you are capable of achieving um, some new thing. That's where you develop uh, this new process. Maybe it's a new design. Maybe it's a new idea, new concept. But it's not necessarily a product at that point. It might just be one aspect or one feature of a larger overarching product. And then in product development, you take these technologies that you or your company has and you combine those into something that's sellable, something that meets a need for whoever your users are and whatever your market is. So you're taking and packaging these technologies into a product. So that's how I define this difference between product development and technology development. And I think pressure plays a different role in each of these. So to illustrate this, I'm going to give an example of um, a situation where I think pressure played a huge role in the productization or at least the uh, development of this technology into something that's usable and where pressure didn't really seem to be playing a role on the technology side. So that example is the, well, it's a nuclear bomb. <laughs> so the nuclear bombs obviously were first dropped in World War II, but the core technology behind how a nuclear bomb works is uh, the idea of splitting an atom. It's fission, or at least their first nuclear bombs were fission. And the way you fission a nucleus is you shoot a neutron into the atom of, uh, well, you shoot it into the nucleus of a uranium atom. But you can't do this if you don't have a neutron, or if you don't know what a neutron is, then you're never going to be able to get to that step of launching it into the nucleus of an atom. So the first step in this is the development of, well, it's the new idea the new concept, and then the proof of a neutron. So back in 1932, there was a physicist named James Chadwick who published a paper that essentially announced to everyone the existence of the neutron. And so the neutron was this first technological development, you could say, that then led to the development, the idea and then develop, uh, development of the nuclear bomb. And of course, there was immense pressure on the development of the nuclear bomb. It was World War II, and it was critical that we developed this uh, nuclear bomb technology before the Germans did. So there was a lot of pressure on that side of things. However, there wasn't a lot of pressure, at least that I'm aware of, on the development of the neutron. That came from years of research, of following the scientific method, and just studying atoms, studying the nucleus of different types of atoms, whether that was helium or uh, uranium, or you know, I don't know exactly which atom led to the discovery of the neutron, but 
it took years of dedication, of time, of collaboration with other scientists, and the ability and the skill to ask good questions. So again, in this scenario, I think those four building blocks that I had mentioned that I had learned from or taken away from this book on Bell Laboratories, I do think those really were the key ingredients that led to the development of nuclear, of harnessing nuclear power, essentially. But then it was the pressure put on the United States, put on the world to develop a nuclear bomb that led it to be, I guess you could say productized. It's kind of a weird thing to say with a nuclear bomb, but led it to be turned into a new innovative thing that, of course, changed the world forever. So there's a role for pressure on the product development side, which again is kind of weird to use in the context of nuclear bombs, but there was pressure on the product development side, but not necessarily a pressure on the uh, technology development side. That was more curiosity and people pursuing things that were interesting to them, pursuing good questions that they had and collaborating with other incredibly smart people, other physicists, and then dedicating that time to uh, discovering something new. So in summary, there definitely is a role for pressure in all of this. And there's a pressure for new startups to increase revenue and to get investors. There's pressure to uh, increase revenue so that your stock prices go up. And all of these things lead to new products. They lead to new ideas, but I don't know that they necessarily lead to these innovative, world-changing, creative ideas, uh, you know, things such as cell phones and radar and video calls, you know, all of these things that have really, you know, they've changed the way the world works. They've changed the way we work. Uh, as we all experience with COVID, now we have the ability to work remotely, but still call in and have essentially face-to-face, not quite face-to-face, but you can still see the faces of your coworkers, of the pe- person you're talking to. You can see your grandkids, you can see your grandparents. These are innovative technologies that have really changed just the landscape of how we live or the landscape of our lives and how we live our lives. And a lot of those stemmed from at the Bell Laboratories, there wasn't time pressure. There wasn't a lot of pressure on getting these ideas out. There was just people pursuing their curiosities, very smart people pursuing good questions. And that led to a lot of their innovative breakthroughs. And then the pressure comes in when you actually need to turn those ideas, those technologies into a sellable product that meets user needs, that has a niche, has a market. That's where the pressure, I think, really shines through. And there's one other point on this that I want to put in. I think it fits in here as well. And it's something that you see with a lot of these innovative products is you see either a mission or a vision or both. So for example, in World War II, with all of the technologies that were developed during that time, there was obviously a very clear mission. You know, we needed to end this war, this terrible, awful, incredibly destructive war. And then another example of that, which we're all familiar with, is Apple with Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was this visionary who was capable of creating his own vision 
and then getting the whole company to buy into that and to dedicate themselves to making that vision come true. He provided that mission and that vision to the people of his company, and that led to an innovative technology like the smartphone, the first iPhone, which I actually just finished a book on this uh, a couple, it was probably about a week ago. And it's just fascinating thinking about all of the time. And of course, there was a lot of pressure, but there's a lot of time and good ideas and questions. And there's a lot of these core technologies that had to be developed for the iPhone to become a thing. And there are things that we take for granted now, but all of the technology that goes into simply having a touchscreen that responds well to your fingers. I mean, one thing I learned from that book was there's these offsets that they program into your phone screen because where you think you're touching with your thumb or your finger is not actually where you're touching. So you think you're touching it with the tip of your finger, but really the pad just below the tip of your finger touches the screen first. So they program in an offset so it feels more intuitive that where you think you're touching is where it assumes you want to touch, if that makes sense. So where you're actually touching isn't where the software, uh, isn't how the screen actually reacts. You're actually touching that space below the app first, but the system has an offset and it knows, oh, they're wanting to touch this app. So when they press here, we're going to just say that they're actually pressing a little bit above that. Uh, and that's just one like very simple uh, improvement software technology that was had to be implemented with the touchscreen to make it more realistic and more intuitive and respond the way that users expect it to. So all of this goes back to this visionary, this ability to provide a vision and a mission to the company that Steve Jobs excelled at. And we've all heard, you know, the downsides of Steve Jobs. He was uh, at times a pretty emotional and erratic person and was pretty difficult to work with. But he also, you know, going back to pressure, he put a lot of pressure on his employees as well. So there is an example there where pressure did play a, a big role in innovation. People knew that they had to bring their best work to him or else he would just completely embarrass you and then... <laughs> if not fire you, at least never invite you to a meeting again. So there definitely was an element of pressure. But a lot of that came from him as a personality, which, you know, he was almost as a person, he was the vision. <laughs> he provided that so well, he provided this mission so well to the company. And that vision and mission was so clear that also put a lot of pressure on the employees to deliver and now without someone like Steve Jobs at Apple, you kind of see there hasn't been any big innovative jumps, I would say, since Steve Jobs passed away. There's been a lot of incremental improvements, and they have this pressure to, of course, improve their stock prices and increase revenue. So they're always releasing new products every year, and I'm sure there's a lot of pressure behind those releases, but there's not a lot of innovation going on. So I would say they don't have that vision and maybe, you know, who knows what will come out in the next year or two or three. Maybe they are working on something in the background, but it seems like they've really moved into that incremental improvement, which isn't a bad thing. That's something all companies as they mature often go through, but without that visionary person, without that person who's providing 
a mission to the workers, it's really hard to uh, develop new innovative products. So in conjunction with these four primary ingredients that I had discussed on episode 29 of time, collaboration, questions, and dedication, I think vision and mission are two really important aspects of, I think they help bridge this gap actually between product development and technology development. Going back to Steve Jobs, for example, he saw the technology with uh, computers coming onto the scene when he was younger. And he saw the technology that uh, Steve Wozniak was an expert at. And he had the vision and the mission to take that and to productize it, to bring it into a product development process and develop something that was innovative and changed the world, had the capability of changing the world. So perhaps that's where this mission and vision really is important and really plays a prominent role is taking these technologies, taking these ideas or concepts, grouping them together into a product that serves a need, it meets a need, and has a capability to change people's lives forever. I mean, the personal computer, the the Apple, iMac, iPad, iPhone, all of these things have made the world look completely different than it did uh, in the 60s and 70s when when Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak were just getting started on this. So yeah, so that's my thoughts on that. That's my response to this idea of pressure. I think it was a really good uh, criticism and something that plays a huge role, obviously, in product development and in taking innovative ideas and technologies and turning them into something that is useful, that serves and meets a need. Yeah, so thanks for that feedback. Um, As always, feel free to reach out to me uh, via email. You can email learndesign3030 at gmail.com if you have thoughts or questions or ideas. Um, And then you can also reach out on Instagram or Twitter. That's all I have for this episode. Again, please subscribe to the Design 30 Substack where I just published uh, another writing that if you are a subscriber, you should have gotten your email. And if not, you can go to uh, Substack, type in Design 30, you'll find me there and become a subscriber. I don't have a Design 30 discipline this week, so just enjoy your week. Um, Have fun, read books, and remember, design more, despair less. Thanks for listening.